Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 53. And you've caught us on a good weekend. Well, let me rephrase that. A good week. It's not the weekend yet, but it will be the weekend when you're listening. We have our special guest, JD, is here with us. How are you doing, JD? I'm good. What's up, everybody? Glad to have you, man. Thanks for coming. Good, good. Yeah. So so far from the pre-show, this is this is <laughs> this is going to be a good one. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. The, the dumpster fire, like every other week. <laughs> but not because of JD, because well, PJ's here again. So yeah, yeah, that. that's yeah. I caused all the problems in the pre-show. That's a hundred percent correct. Okay, let's Pre- move on. Pretty much. Pretty much. So JD, what is your dominant skill set? I would say fabrication based around welding. Okay. Give us a, give us an idea here. What skill class is fabrication? I would say it's a seven, as in 7018. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely. That that tracks with me. I think that was a welding joke. Was that a welding joke? Maybe. It, it's a skill class that'll hold 70,000 pounds. Perfect. Perfect. There we go. There we go. So it's time for... History and fun facts. Uh, JD, did you do any research on fabrication? Fabrication, no. I kind of did some research on welding. Perfect. All right. Well, hit, hit us with the welding research. That's more than Tom does. You guys already did a uh, a thing on welding, like a whole episode. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of. Yeah, but nobody up. listened to that episode, so. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of fabrication, pretty much anything you heard on that episode was, was fabricated. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows the basic types of welding, stick, MIG, and TIG. And so I looked up explosive welding, explosion welding, which I thought you know, it's just another type of welding, but I thought it was pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm no expert here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to weld explosives. That's, that's kind of like a, that leads to the explosion, doesn't it? Yeah, something like that. They they did a lot of that where I went to where I went to college, and so you just randomly be sitting in class at Terra, you just hear explosions out in the desert. But we had some cool art up around the school that was explosively welded. Really? Yeah. The number one thing that I, I never... they, that I know that they use it for is uh, making blanks and stuff, and that's what like our quarters. Mm-hmm. They're explosive welded together, the two different types of metal, and then they're punched out and then minted into quarters or whatever. But that's the... I've never heard of this. You can actually uh, take two different types of metal, like, say, aluminum and steel, explode explosion welding, you're just really smashing them together really hard to where they, they weld. Super expensive to buy, but that's how you could you could actually uh, stick those in between two things and weld aluminum on this side and have steel on this side. Or, uh, like I said, like blanks for special applications, like coins. Is, is that like friction cool. welding? No, it's like... It's like the names that they, you take a huge sheet of one metal and you space it out just a little bit. So you probably have copper in between it and you say a whole nother sheet on top of it. Then you put like a powdered explosive on top of that, set it off on one corner and it will kind of smash the whole sheets together. And you're exploding the top sheet down onto the bottom sheet. And it's something they'll do like inside mines or like inside a mountain kind of thing. It's not something you're going to see just like out in the middle of anywhere. Really? But yeah, that's just that's one thing. We could work on a DIY version, though. That sounds fun. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that at Maker Camp next year and blow up the dyno. 
There we go. Uh, 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 I'm going to let you guys handle that. I don't really feel like getting inside a mine where there's going to be something exploding. It doesn't really sound like a fun time to me. Just, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay outside. You guys can do it. How's that sound? So, uh, Tom, we'll what you. kind of research did you do yeah. on fabricating? Oh, I, I definitely didn't do any research. I do want to point out that uh, for those that don't realize, J- JD's kind of toggling between fabrication and welding. There are levels of metal working. Is that the overall term, I would say, is metal working, working with metal? So you have like, and these aren't in order, I promise, unless we want some real controversy here. But you have uh, like a blacksmith that does forging. You have uh, a JD that does fabricating and other things. And then you have machinists. And the best way that I have found to differentiate is how accurate they work. So... (laughs) A machinist works to the thousandth or ten thousandth of an inch. A fabricator, maybe you can correct me, you kind of work to the sixteenth of an inch, maybe, maybe eighth. Some an eighth. Perfect. And then you got blacksmiths that are like, if they're within a quarter of an inch, they're solid. (laughs) So (laughs) that's an easy way to break down those categories. Blacksmithing is the only trade that welders look up to in my book. Yeah, but they can't do what you do. They, you, they can't, they're not. So like, um, Chris, Chris Bowman, the Woodbury blacksmith that I hang out with, he's an incredible blacksmith. He's a, what's MIG welder. You pull the trigger and the wire comes out. Thank you. He does that so crudely because he doesn't have to do it. Well, every weld he makes, he completely makes it disappear. So he'll grind it, wire wheel it, sand, like heat, heat treat it to pickle it and then wire wheel it off, you know, and that weld is completely gone. So like, I know uh, you've said that to me before where you're like, you look up to those guys, but it's just a different skill and you have very different skills that are equally as impressive. Thank you. Just like Tom, Tom fabricates facts on this podcast every week. Yeah. I'm a fabricator. Yeah. I'm a fabricator. It's a different class. Tanda, what did you? What kind of research did you pull up on fabrication? Oh, that's a, I was waiting for Tom's research. I mean, those were some great comments, but I'm not sure what. Uh, <laughs> I said I didn't do any research. I yeah, started didn't with. Do anything. I didn't no, do my, any research. My, my yeah. research was just. Uh, I gave you fun facts. Some interesting, interesting fun facts on a uh, a fabricated structure, and the structure's truss length is 310 feet. So it's you know the length of a football field. And it's 239 feet across. It weighs uh, 925,335 pounds. Holds about, uh, oh, 32,000 cubic feet of uh, of volume. And weighs, or I think I already said the weight, at uh, 925,000 pounds. And the most amazing thing about it is it's traveling at like 16,000 miles an hour, 500 kilometers above the Earth and orbits every 90 minutes. That's awesome. And so I just found that it was really fascinating that humans have fabricated something that size in space. Tanda, Tanda, we got, I told you we're not going to advertise for DirecTV anymore. If you're going to actually yeah. give us some sort of fact <laughs> that actually makes sense to what we're talking about, you, you got to stay in, in the, come on. Oh, they have to be fun and relevant facts. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought they just had to be fun, fun facts. They stopped. But yeah. some, some of it, some of it was welded. Like friction stir welding was was in, kind of invented by NASA to solve some of these sorts of problems of welding in space. And the Russians did some 
kind of basic, you know, like MIG type welding in space to try to figure out how to weld with no gravity, which isn't something you would normally think of unless you're doing like uphill downhill welding, but there is no uphill downhill welding in space. Yeah, I did a little bit of research on welding in space and it was interesting, but that 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 was that was fascinating, I thought. I do have one quick fact about like fabrication. Before welding came along, everything that we built was square, like all the skyscrapers and all that stuff. It was very square. And then now we've got buildings that twist and turn and go out. Like from the base, they get bigger instead of smaller. Like the Empire State Building starts big and then progressively gets smaller and smaller. So before welding, everything was bolted together when they fabricated it. And you could only do square, kind of. You couldn't really right. do anything cool. So the now Eiffel Tower is all riveted, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? Why? What? What technology shift happened? The What's fasteners. the reason we can do that? You can only have something so big due to the size of the bolt. So it's like a tree trunk. Mm-hmm. The bottom of the structure, everything's bigger. The beams are bigger. Everything's bigger. So the bolts are bigger. Well, you can only get to where you, the people fabricating it can actually move that bolt and rivet that bolt. And then you have the shear strength. So then you can only put so much stuff on top of that one bolt. You know, I say one bolt, mm-hmm. but you know what I'm saying? Like at the bottom. But then when you go to weld it, you can have a continuous I-beam from the foundation to the top of the building. One piece of steel. Right. 300 feet tall. You put it together piece by piece by piece, weld it together to where you take the two things and turn it into one. When you fasten everything and you fabricate it that way, mm. there's always a weakness with the bolt or the fastener that that whole length would be sitting on the shear of one bolt at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then once yeah. you can weld it all together, you turn that all those pieces, all those beams, you turn them into one piece. That's what's cool about welding. Mm. You can really take two things and turn it into one and it, you get the same strength and property that that I beam can have, but say you can't fabricate it from the steel yard at 300 feet. You can't transport it at 300 feet. But you can just right. add and weld and weld and weld and weld and get it all the way to the top. And by the time you're done, you have one beam that is 300 feet tall or whatever, you know. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. Top that, PJ. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I was, I was just waiting to, to get to the top. So I, I've got a bunch of fun facts. And uh, it's interesting that, that J.D. brought up that before we had welding – uh, because one of the fun facts I have here says that our archaeologists believe that welding in some form goes back to 3500 BC and that images have been found of early welding tools in ancient Egyptian tombs. So the pyramids were actually welded together. No one knew that's that's how they <laughs> did it. It's, uh, it's, it's stone welding, I guess. I don't know. But in addition to that, uh, we've got uh, metal fabrication can save trees. Uh, the frame for a 2,000-square-foot house can be built using recycled steel from four cars uh, to build the frame, and that same size house in wood would require 40 trees. Yeah, but steel doesn't grow on trees. The, the, yes, Tom, that's that's the point I'm trying to make here. Uh, and and making, anyway. making four cars kills 80 trees. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, no, that's not how it works, Tanda. Oh, okay. Let, let me let me. Yeah, keep... just in in burger wrappers alone to feed the factory workers. 
I don't have a comment for that. Uh, let's move on here. So uh, another one fun fact we got here is one of Leonardo da Vinci's many amazing sketches featured an outline for the first known metal fabrication machine, which was a rolling mill. So hmm. we didn't know that. A huge chunk of what most of us use each day from cell phones to laptops to cars and cutlery is manufactured using the metal fabrication processes. And it's estimated that that number is more than 50%. Those are the fun facts. That's what I got. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. So this was a good week for dealer's corner. Uh, actually, I had a carryover from last week since the, the Jacktown one was so huge. So we got three. And uh, the first one was called the Backyard Bandsaw Deal. There was this guy named Junior who posted a Reliant 14-inch bandsaw with no motor uh, not too far away from where I lived for 50 bucks. I offered him 40 and he said, yeah. So I was 30 minutes away. I got in my car. I drove over there. And this was like the redneck paradise. It was a garage that was not attached to a house. The, the entire roof was starting to fall in on one side. There was junk inside and outside. Some of it was like, I didn't even know, couldn't describe what it is. But anyway, uh, Junior was there with his dad and I'm guessing his brother because they all kind of looked the same. And they all had that kind of like, they were looking at me the same. So I, I felt slightly uncomfortable. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. Anyway. The, most everyone looks at you that way though. That, that, well, that explains a lot while we record. Uh, anyway, uh, so I, I took a look at it, and uh, one of the trunnions was broken, and there was a few other things that were needed attention other than it being rusty. But 40 bucks for a 14-inch bandsaw wasn't bad. So I said, what else you got? So he took me around, and there was mostly garbage. Uh, but he did have a, as we were going around, I told him I was looking for tools. He had a lot of automotive tools. But then his dad shows up with this toolbox and he says, what about this? And so we open this metal toolbox and it all I see is just like rusty tools. But the first thing that, that I, I spot is a micrometer and it, it's rusty, but I'm like, and then I see another one behind it. I'm like, okay, man, we've got something to work with here. So I'm like, what do you think on this? And they're like, I don't know. What do you think? And I'm like, I'm thinking $10. <laughs> so... <laughs> They, they kind of went back and forth, and they dug through it, pulled out a couple of reamers, uh, I'm guessing for valves or something. And then they're like, all right, here, yeah, you can have it for 10 bucks." So I got uh, a bunch of garbage, but there was some, some decent stuff in there. There was three large auger bits, uh, two carpenter squares, a craftsman combination square with a Stanley combo ruler. Didn't have the actual square part. Ten various size dividers, like the, the caliper dividers. And then I got three micrometers, uh, a Starrett, a JT Slocum, and a Central Tools. And I got a perfect handle screwdriver, a bunch of automotive stuff like valve lappers and spring compressors and things like that. Two adjustable pin spanners, like for taking off those uh, angle grinder caps. Two long handle scrapers, and then a double cross peen hammer, which I thought was was nice. You know, for ten bucks, that was that was a steal. Uh, and then I also picked up, uh, he was trying to sell me everything under the sun. He had a giant, it was either an 18-inch or a 24-inch um, sharpening wheel. You know, like kind of you pedal and you sharpen your axe or something. 
And he wanted me to take that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't need that, man. But then I called up Kyle. And I'm like, hey, Kyle, you can get a sharpening wheel. And he's like, send me a picture. So I did. And he's like, yeah, I'm interested. So I picked it up for him for 20 bucks. And then I just took it over to Kyle's because it actually wasn't far from where he lived. So, so there was that. The next deal was part of a two-deal day. So I tried to get two things in the same direction. It was sort of a round robin. But this is called the I'd Tap That Deal. This guy named Don had a 1940s Walker Turner floor model drill press for sale on Facebook Marketplace for quite a while, and no one was interested. It was He had it for 220 and it had no drill truck, and the paint, the beige paint was flaking off everything, and there was rust all over it, and it was basically out of fashion. Let's, let's just put it like that. So then he lowered the price to 160 and at that point, I kind of dove in and engaged him and it turns out that it came with a tapping head which just happened to be a vintage procunior tapping head which would go great on the procunior universal tapping machine that i picked up a few weeks ago and i happened to look up that tapping head on ebay and they go for anywhere from 150 to 300 dollars and i'm like oh i could use that <laughs> so i offered him 60 bucks <laughs> And he countered with 100 and then we landed at 80 because it was a two and a half hour drive to get it. Uh, but in addition to that, the drill also had a removable table elevator that's very similar to the Delta version, but I think it was slightly shorter. But it, it clamps to the column, so I could actually move that over to my drill press. And then it had a low-speed pulley system in the middle which is another nice feature. Those go for quite a bit. And then it had the remnants of a foot pedal system. And it didn't have the Walker Turner belt cover, but it had an aftermarket. Uh, it wasn't sheet metal. It was thicker. It was like, I don't want to say plate steel, but it was originally flat stock that someone had bent and shaped and fabricated uh, into a pulley cover. And so uh, all of that for 80 bucks. I was very, very satisfied. And then we come to right after that, I stopped at another place. This is called the Switcheroo Deal. And, and you'll find out why. So there was this guy named Bill. And Bill had put up a Delta drum sander kit for a drill press that effectively turns it into like a spindle sander. You chuck it up in there and then you could, you know, sand the inside around things. And it was in a blow molded case. He had it up for 25 bucks. I offered him 20 and he said, yeah. So I get there and it was at his business building, which was where they made industrial ductwork. So he, he told me he had more tools for sale and that a, a rental tenant hadn't paid and then they left without taking their stuff. So he was selling off all this stuff from the tenant. Well, we get inside the building, which is like gigantic. It's like the size of a football field. And we go to the second floor. He's got all these tables of tools set out. And Bill can't find the Delta toolkit that I'd come for. He's looking all over. He goes, it's not here. And I'm like, well, where would it be? He goes, oh, maybe my brother sold it. I'm like, oh, thanks, man. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> so then I looked at him. I'm like, well, then you're going to have to give me a good deal on something else. He said, all right, yeah, we, we can do that. So I made a pile of tools. And then I said, so what are you thinking? And he looks at me and goes, I'm thinking 400, which I said, I'm thinking no. <laughs> so 
I asked him, I said, what do you think are the high dollar items in this pile? And he picked up two jet 12 inch K body style F clamps, which he claimed were $75 each. I'm like, all right, well, those are gone. <laughs> and then he picked up uh, a three by 21 skill belt sander and a Bosch five inch random orbit sander. And because what I had, the pile that was there, I had offered him 150. So we took out these four items and so then he goes, okay, so this, you could do 150 on what's left. Um, and I said, I said, no, 150 was for everything that was there. And then, and then he said, well, this metal detector sells for 130. I'm like, no, there's, there's no way. It was like one of those wand metal detectors that they use at the airport. And I'm like, you can get those on Amazon for 20, 30 bucks. There's no way that's $130. So I picked that up out of the pile. And then what was left over, I said, how about 80? Well, he picks up the metal detector and puts it back in. He goes, how about 100 even? And I looked at him and I'm like, how about 90? You meet me in the middle. He goes, no, 100, final offer. And he was stone-faced. So I thought I'd test him. So I, I stood there and I kind of scratched my chin and I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Hmm. All right, yeah, I'll take it for 100. <laughs> so what I ended up getting which was, I think 100 was pretty good considering we started at 400. But I got a, a Wizard 4 laser line metal detector, which uh, I found out from uh, from Matt at Victory Vintage Tools that it actually is $100 because he has one. But uh, it's apparently a pretty good one. I got a Black & Decker Heat Pro Deluxe with case and accessories heat gun. I got a Nico laser thermometer with case, the pistol style uh, laser thermometer. A uh, blue 5-inch caster that'll hold 375 pounds, just one single caster. Uh, this was nice. I got an 8-inch Freud Pro Dato set with a case, and it looks like it was used a couple times. Uh, those go for 130 bucks new, so I was very happy about that. There was a set of four Stanley Bostitch punches going from 8-inch to 5-16ths. Then I had a GAM manufacturing nested brass hammer that had three flathead screwdrivers nested inside the handle. I got two one-inch can't-twist clamps that look brand new, like they were all shiny, no tarnish or nothing. Then I got a General Ultratech three-inch digital caliper, which would be nice for measuring those small things that I got to 3D fabricate. Then there was seven jet bar clamp stops that had uh, screw mounts. I'm not sure exactly what they were for, but they fit on bars for F-clamps. Two Bessie band clamps with corner inserts for, you know, like when you make a box and you got to clamp an odd shape. A Delta miter saw dust collection bag, a Delta tenoning jig, and lastly, a Delta 12-inch canvas zippered bag. So all that for 100 bucks, which I, I think that the, uh, the, the tenoning jig and the dado stack alone is like at least double that. So that was it. That was a good deal. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right. It's time for personal history. J.D., what's your personal history with fabrication? I started doing pipe, gas pipe, here in Atlanta. And that got me into welding. Then from welding, I went to a, a fab shop that was just metal. And then a fab shop that was all stainless. Then I went and did construction and that was kind of a whole journey. But now once I've gotten back, I started working for myself. Pretty much everything I do is either just welding repair or fabrication. 
just those first two jobs that only lasted probably a year and a half total, those have really carried me through in fabrication and metal finishing and just how to build other stuff. I mean, all kinds of stuff. So how, what, what span of time are we talking about here as far as like from when you started till now? 15 years. That was all probably back in uh, oh, wow. 2005, about 2006, seven. That's when I was working in fab shops. And then I went to construction for probably four years. That's where I kind of learned how everything's supposed to be done proper. Then I've come back down to the commercial level and that knowing how to do everything in the industrial level makes it a lot easier to do everything in the commercial level. Now, now when you say you went into construction, was that that steel? Was that like red iron steel construction Power or plants, was it? Uh, big stuff, okay. like galvanized. Everything's galvanized. Like I'm also a rigger. Like welding is the key that's opened the door for everything I've done. So I use that to, everybody will hire welders. And so I use that to get my foot in the door, but welding can be kind of boring if you're doing that for 60, 70 hours a week, hood down, just welding stuff. So I, I use that to get my foot in the door. Then I jump on different crews and I'd get on like the rigging crew just so I could play with cranes and stuff like that. Yeah. From everything from power plants to paper mills to chemical plants, big industrial construction, like where OSHA really matters, where they have safety people walking around trying to fire you all the time for safety violations that you got a welding QC walking around going to, he inspects all your welds before they're put into service and or used to, as in rigging like pad eyes or whatever like that. I think of construction as three levels. You got residential, commercial, and industrial. And the industrial is the major leagues to me. That's the, that's the people building the skyscrapers. That's, that's the big stuff. But if you can work there and you learn how to do all that stuff, when you get to the, the minor leagues, commercial construction, everything's easier. Everything's smaller. If you know how to do the big stuff or at least see how the big stuff's done, makes everything easier. So that's kind of why I work by myself because I've seen how to do everything and I kind of know how to do it and makes it easier on the commercial level. How, you run your own shop, right? So how long have you been doing that? Ten years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, hey, it is. And have you been in the same same spot or same in that same area? I've been working for the same customer. I've moved shops. There was one span where I moved shops four times in five years. I've been in the same oh, shop wow. right now for uh, uh-huh. since 2018. But it's just, you know, changing rent, getting more space. You get bigger. You got to jump here. So, right. But all in the same area. Like I've moved down the street mm-hmm. and then turn around and move right back into this building. I've already been in the shop before with uh, Joel, Missing Digit. Yep. Uh, wood shop or whatever. Shop. Mm-hmm. We like to burn it down. Woodworking in metal. <laughs> it's kind of self-explanatory. <laughs> Not the best thing to put in the same open space. That's how we refer yeah. to Joel too. So yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welding can be a good way to get rid of sawdust. Yeah. 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 When you have to move your shop, I mean, do you have a lot of of equipment that's got to be moved, or is you know, like, well, I'm I'm not I'm not familiar with exactly how your shop is set up. I'm pretty small. I don't really have a whole bunch of machinery and stuff. There's a lot of stuff. All my fabrication, I really do with hand tools. My most important tool I use is a grinder. I cut almost yeah. all my metal with a grinder compared to like a bandsaw or a torch or a plasma or something like that. I use a grinder, but that's the kind of the biggest the biggest stuff. The biggest thing I have is a, a a big drill press. 
I don't have a bridge port or a lathe. I need to get into that stuff, but I just haven't got it yet. Everything I get called to do is I either fabricate here in the shop and deliver or fabricate and install. Like I'll make the pieces. I just did like a 40 foot staircase up the side of a hill. Well, I made a bunch of the steps here and I had the other material delivered there. So then I put it together piece by piece, step by step in the field. You do a little piece like that, then there's not so much. I don't have a forklift. I built my own gantry system to get material in and out of the shop. That's the biggest thing I have, but it's not even like a piece of equipment, really. So no no iron worker, anything no, like that? No, it's stuff I want, but I'm not very good at business, and so I don't make a lot of money. <laughs> so I can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, You're in good company. Yeah, I'm the worst. Like, I'm the worst for business. I can I know how to do stuff, but I don't know how to charge or invoice. Yeah. Is there is there something like an iron worker that would be the first, you know, kind of the first thing on the list if you Yeah, an iron worker would make my life a lot easier. And I know and I'm just I'm not the best at shopping around. Like Tom gets all these deals, you know, on like bridge ports and stuff. I don't even know I don't even know what to look for, where to look for it. And up until just recently, I've had all I've I've been running out of a small pickup, not even a full-size truck. And so there I can't even move there's only, it kind of limits me on being able to drive to someone's shop and pick up a bridge port. Now I have a truck. I got a big truck and I can, I can go pick up three or four bridge ports if I want to, <laughs> but I just got that in August. Like that's, that's like brand new. That's the biggest piece of equipment I got. So now I'm, I'm torn between a shop and being mobile. I, I can't right. make enough work being, I could, if I travel. That's the thing. I, I put these limitations on myself. It, it's kind of hard to gear up for both. You almost have to have two businesses yeah. because you either build out a truck and build out toolboxes and make everything portable mm-hmm. or you have a nice shop and you can't really, I mean, it doesn't seem like it would be easy to move stuff between those two operations. You'd almost have to have two sets of, of everything mm-hmm. to make that work. Can you pull your truck in your shop currently? Yeah, that's what I, I was think thinking. That solves everything. No. <laughs> I have a loading dock, loading dock height, yeah. so I, I can't get into my shop. Yeah, you just have a you just have a big old trunk of everything you need, and you just put offload it onto your truck <laughs> and move it back. Yeah, in. Yeah, see, that's what I do, yeah. and I can't tell you how many yeah. times I've gone to a job and I forgot that one little thing where I have mm-hmm. to drive back to the shop to <laughs> yeah. get it because I'll bring my tools out of the truck into there. And what I use, the reason it got me, a, I started working construction. I started doing everything in the field. So when I started working for myself, just to get credit, I would say, uh, I can do this. And people would look at me and be like, really? I'd be like, you order the material and put it in front of your shop and I'll build it in the parking lot. And so I would have job boxes, you know, just those boxes you see from Home Depot, like the four foot wide, right. whatever. Mm-hmm. I'd have those things. And then once I started spending so much time unloading, repacking stuff every day, that's when I was like, I could just get a shop. I kind of had to build a credit with everybody mm-hmm. first. But uh, that's what I do. So when I do, I do have, when I have a job, I'll load up a box and leave it there on site, you know, with all my tools in it kind of thing. Yeah, it's tough going between a shop and a mobile. It's it's juggling. Yeah, for sure. And JD, how big is your shop? Right now it's 60 by 60. So 3,600 square feet. That's huge. And I'm, that's real big. I'm about to lose it because I can't afford the rent because I've been doing it for years, but all I do is tread water. Like I just, I keep my head above water. I make enough to pay the rent. And then every, as soon as I pay the rent, they want it the next month. They want it the next month in months. feels like weeks. Oh yeah. Weeks. Yeah. They tick off really quick. And yeah. And so if you're staying busy with stuff, that's just break even. Yeah. That's then you're just always treading treading water. 
I, I, I should be the number one guy and I should have a boss above me, but mm-hmm. I'm kind of a, so it's kind of That's... tough to find that right person to be in charge of me. And I'm not, I've tried getting helpers to where I'm in charge and that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. No, you're the, you're the guy that does mm-hmm. the thing. I'm the guy right? that does the thing. And you I need somebody need... else to do the invoicing, the quoting and just all the running right. around half the time during right. the week. 40 hour week i'll spend 20 hours just driving around driving around to go get material driving around to quote stuff driving around to look at stuff yeah my my sister and i have had this conversation a number of times just because we've both both had our own businesses for a number of years and you and i talked about this a little bit at makers camp but there's this small business cycle you get in where you can you can be out there getting work or you can be doing the work and you just keep vacillating between the two. Mm-hmm. You you get enough to keep yourself really busy. And then if you don't have that other person to kind of offset it, then you're off doing the work mm-hmm. and then you're getting new jobs and stuff drops off a little bit. Then you get, then you free up because you finished the work. You go out and do the hustle again. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard with just a, you know, when you're a one person show to, to keep that going and keep it up, it's, it's very tricky. Speaking of tricky, Tanda, you want to give us your personal history on fabrication? I don't know that I can add a whole lot other than, you know, from our welding episode. But, you know, I've uh, we had heavy equipment. I mean, not, you know, by by huge standards. We had a backhoe and a bulldozer and trailers and stuff. And we did excavation work on the weekends. And, you know, it was kind of a rural kind of farm area. And, and we I grew up in the oil field. And so it's kind of funny. A friend of mine went uh, went home with me from college once, and they're like, "Do you build everything out of metal here, where most people would build out of wood?" And I'd never even given it a thought. But you know, yeah. our, our corrals, our our shop buildings. I mean, my dad built shop buildings and outbuildings by just making a steel frame, welded out of tubing that we got inexpensively from oil field, you know, tear outs and stuff. And then we would wrap around the building with like two by sixes, hammer nails through the two by six right adjacent to the steel pole and weld it to the pole. And that's and so we would just, you know, spur out the building with two bys by hammering big nails through them and welding them to the poles. And then we would put metal siding on it. And and our main shop building was entirely metal. It was corrugated metal on a metal frame with nails bent and wrapped around it. <laughs> and uh, and so I just kind of grew up around a lot of metal. And we had a scrap pile where, you you know, if you were bored, you just dug through the scrap pile and cut something up and made something. But I think I told the story of the little trailer I made for my ATV. And that was, uh, that was a big win for me because it was on a lot of levels because it was something that I set out to fabricate. And my dad was kind of like, yeah, knock yourself out, kid. But, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. You can't, you know, building a trailer for that. And then by the end of it, all I needed was a bearing for one old, like, harrow wheel or something to put another wheel on it. And he broke down and took it in and had somebody at at his work uh, turn down the bearing. And so it was kind of the first, you know, kind of acknowledgement that I had set out to do something that an adult had told me, you know, yeah, whatever, but you know, this is this is a pretty ambitious crazy thing you're try- trying to do and I was able to do it. So it really sticks in my mind. But we were always working on working on equipment and trailers and stuff cuz it if you use it it breaks. Do you think metalworking is easier than woodworking? 
fabrication? I kind of prefer metalworking just because when you buy a piece of metal, and maybe this goes back to what Tom was saying, when you buy a piece of metal, it's within some tolerance that's that's pretty good. I mean, you can get bowed metal. I spent all day um, <laughs> trying trying to cr- fix all the errors in a weldment of a piece of equipment, but <laughs> it, you know, it's just it's more accurate. And you make something, it's easier to make something square and true. And there's not this sense of bowed and warping. And, and so I, and part of that is just, we didn't do a lot with wood growing up. We really didn't. We were welding and making stuff out of metal all the time. And we had some basic hand saws and stuff, but did very little woodworking. You know, you, you've asked that question kind of twice in two different points. I think it's because metalworking is more violent and dirtier that it's perceived to be more complicated or harder Mm -hmm. whereas woodworking like you got your nice little shop apron on you got you know like i'm not making fun of woodworkers but like i would work in my sandals right like i'm not doing that metalworking you know um you drop a a bolt and you destroy your toe (laughs) well that's not true at all tom david parts and restoration welds and in crocs so that 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 just goes right oh yeah does he welds welds and crocs i've i've i i used to weld in like whatever growing up you know just my tennis shoes or whatever and i had a piece of slag fall through the top of my my nylon tennis shoe go between my big toe and the next toe and end up in the sole of my shoe. And so I was just really lucky because it just, you know, I was cutting with a cutting torch and it dropped down and went right through my shoe between my toes into the sole of my shoe and just pretty much like gave me like a sunburn on my toes as it went by. (laughs) But yeah. Yet another Tanda gem. So I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't do that anymore. I, I learned pretty quickly. That sounds like, uh, I don't know, you've talked a lot about metal in the past. I always thought you meant like ACDC and Guns N' Roses, but I, I understand a little bit better now yeah. what you're talking about, Tanda. It makes more there was, sense. There was, a, there was a time when I, after I went off to college that I really didn't have any abilities to weld or do any fabrication, and I really missed it. I mean, I would go back up to my father's house over holidays, and I would just find something to do so I could fabricate something. So as soon as I could afford a welder, Again, I got a welder. I mean, I even I even bought when I didn't before I even ha- bought a new arc welder. I bought an oxycetylene kit and would gas weld things. I made you know decorative window frames and stuff. Gas welding. You don't even see people don't do that much anymore. I think it's been kind of replaced by TIG. Yeah, gas is good sometimes. It's quiet. Gas welding is very zen. That's how I describe it, and uh, even 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 more even more so than TIG. And TIG is, is you know kind of calm compared to most other welding. Yeah, stainless and steel aluminum's not. That can be kind of annoying. Well, yeah, if you're going. doing AC something, yeah. then you're AC is yeah. annoying. But that's why you got to pair it with the DC. Yeah, you can get the the tunes the right. tunes going. AC DC metal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tom, do you have any personal history with fabrication? Not a lot, and I've already talked about it a bunch of times, but it's with the Woodbury Blacksmith. I, I started going there and learning, and just being in a metal shop was eye-opening, and learning how that all functions, how that all works. The, the you know, the tools are different, the, the smells and sounds are different, and it's a totally different, the inputs you're getting from your, your environment are just so different. I really enjoyed it. I wanted to know, I didn't want to, I don't want to say I wanted to learn how to weld. I just wanted to weld. I just wanted to know what that felt like 
looked like and what I could do with it as like one tool in my, in my tool belt, not a whole career for me. You know, I just wanted to get exposed to it and I definitely got that, but I have, you know, dozens of hours of experience, not, (laughs) not years of experience. Right. But it's something that I want to do more of. Uh, and, and in the last two years I haven't because I've had, I had a second kid and I just can't get to the, to the blacksmith anymore. And I will soon. He actually just moved shops. Um, so I don't think he listens. Not yet. Um, but congrats to him. It's a much larger shop. He really needed the space. But I'll get back into it soon enough. Like, I'm I'm itching to get back into it. So that's I'll keep it short there. PJ? Well, when I've been thinking about it the whole time everybody else has been talking. And I don't really have any, any fabrication history. Uh, unless you consider some of the jewelry work I did, which there was some fabrication involved there. But when I think about like present day, something that I fabricate, and when I think of fabrication, I think about taking like a flat piece of metal and shaping it in some way. The the thing that comes to mind is I have a, a five or six inch bench vise and it has, you know, the serrated jaws just like every other vise does. And I needed to hold things without the serrations tearing things up. And I needed something that was stronger than the rubber soft jaws. So I had, from an auction, I had gotten a bunch of metal from a machinist shop. And mixed in with that, there were these painted green, like hammered green, sort of like electrical boxes. But they were made out of like a, I don't know, like an 18-gauge steel, like not super thick but it was painted nice. And I was able to kind of cut them up into so that it wasn't a box and I had flat pieces of steel. And so what I did was I I made cuts along the way, like down one side and down the other side. And then I clamped it into the bench vise and then I bent it to shape and I bent over where I'd cut the tabs in and I made a set of jaw covers that were flat and painted. So that way I could hold on to something without worrying about you know, marring it up, but it was still stronger than like the rubber, you know, soft jaws. And there was, there was no welding. It was all just completely bending and just bending in place. And, and, um, I, I don't even think I pop riveted anything. I think it was all completely bent and I still use those. Like that's this, I have those, the soft jaws and that set of jaws and then that's it. That's, that's what I, so that's like the only thing I can think of that I've really fabricated in, in like the traditional sense. Uh, other than that, I don't have anything else. Yeah. There's, I've watched a few channels where they do a lot of like bodywork fabrication and stuff where they're actually using like hammer and dolly and, and stuff. And I find that fascinating, but it's one of those things I'd really like to try, but I can't, I can't find a real good use for it. I can't think of a good justification to, to need to do any metal bending into organic type shapes but that's definitely something I'd like to try, you know, kind of starting with, you know, something like you were talking about just doing, you know, more, more geometric bins, but then get to where I could actually, you know, kind of sculpt the metal into something with shrinkers and, and, you know, like a, a wheel and stuff that, that just looks like fun, but I, I don't know why I need it. Build a 1950s rocket. One of those typical like art deco looking rockets with the three pointed oh, legs yeah, that there. are all curved. Yeah, there I yeah. go. I could yeah. I could build a rock because I'm not really into cars, and that's where most of that seems to take place: is people remaking parts for cars. 
and I love I love watching it and would like to get into it, but I'm not that into old cars. So me neither. Me yeah. neither. Maybe old rockets. Maybe you're onto something. Hey, rockets are the way to go. One more fun fact about fabrication. I said that I worked at a stainless steel fab shop. It was everything was stainless steel. And fast forward, that was 06 or probably 06. Fast forward to the first time me and you met, Tanda, was at the Marriott at WorkbenchCon. Right. Oh, right. You did the railings. Those railings I did, I fabricated those off of blueprints in the stainless steel shop. And then they installed them all around the, it was the glass partition with a right. stainless cap mm-hmm. rail. Yeah. I did yeah, all those yeah. cap rails. I didn't install them there, but I was the guy fabbing it in the shop. It's kind of cool, you know, full circle. Right. right there. Kind of full, kind of full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen mm-hmm. your work. <laughs> <laughs> He's famous. He's famous. That's awesome. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hi, this is Luke down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you tired of weld prep? Mill scale got you down? We have the perfect solution, Preparation W. Just rub the ointment on the weld crack with your fingers, and it alleviates those scaly deposits. Preparation W comes in different sizes from pocket size to industrial barrels. You can pick up a pocket size tube for $5.99 in our welding aisle. Preparation W. It's not just for butt joints anymore. To find out more, go to patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. JD, what skill goes well with fabrication? Kind of all of them. <clears throat> welding. Yeah, <clears throat> welding. Like, like I said, I keep going back and forth between welding and fabrication. Kind of all the trades all use welder fabrication. You got to pick one. You got to pick one. You can't use all the trades, but you got to leave something for us. Yeah. Um, problem solving, if that's a skill. Ooh, problem solving is a, skill. a big a skill. skill. Yeah, that's a that's that a biggie. A skill. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Most people, when they call me, they have an issue, and I fabricate something to fix that issue. Interesting. So they're not really calling you saying, we need this piece of metal three inches wide by whatever. They're telling no. you... We got this thing, and we need a thing to go there. They normally say, this thing's wiggling. That thing's moving. I want this to be able to set up this high. If I listen to what they say, it never works. The best thing is if they can give me the issue, the problem, and I'll fabricate a solution for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't. I'm not like a chop shop or something where they they call and ask for specific stuff. I never get blueprints. Nothing. I never, people tell me, they'll give me dimensions and they go, I want handrails around this. I got to kind of do all that on my own or stairs. I fabricate those all the time. And like I said, I'll make stools to set product on or little tables or all kinds of stuff like that. So problem solving, I def, you know, as a skill, that's definitely it. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, real quick, sidebar, Tanda, PJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I've been waiting the entire show to just like nail this guy on something, mm-hmm. but He's he's pretty bulletproof. I mean, I've just everything he says is spot on, uh, accurate, professional. I just I, I've been looking for something. Oh well, is Tom, he any weakness. Tom, you you missed that whole section where he told you he was playing with cranes and OSHA's walking around. I mean, that right there is a clear vibe. You should be playing with heavy oh, machinery like that. that. Yeah, the, he's uh, got a screw loose somewhere. That's for sure. We can't do a callback that far. We can't. 
Oh yeah, you're I, right. Yeah. He got he got by on that one. He got by on that one. I can't bring that up now. Yeah, side sidebar, PJ. Yeah. Are we gonna let that that one thing though keep us from replacing Tom with JD though? Or are we gonna are we still we're still talking about having JD come in as the third? I mean, JD still has a better personality than Tom. I think even with the the sketchy behavior, it's it seems solid to me. Okay. All right. Just just seeing if we were still clear on that. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's there's Tom. Guys, did you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we heard you. Yeah, you cut out. You cut out a little bit there. I think. Oh, oh, all right. There must be something wrong with my sidebar buttons. All right. Anyways, that's all I got. I'm sorry. I, I just want maybe there maybe he'll mess up in, in the rest of the show and I'll, I'll nail him. Well, up. we're only halfway through. Oh, that's yeah. depressing. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Tom, you gonna take us out of the sidebar? I mean, JD doesn't know what's happening. No. No, I'm gonna take a nap. Oh, here he's here. I I hope he does. Here, J- back. JD's back. JD's back. Hey, hey, JD. Yeah, that was that was an amazing was explanation there. Uh, moving right along, uh, Tanda, uh, what skill goes well with fabrication? I think when it comes to me and fabrication, I think that the fabrication. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I I often tell people, yeah, I could weld that. I know how to weld, which is you know is is you know, kind of a fabrication. I've I've welded things off and on for <laughs> for a long time, but but you know. I can make you a metal mailbox. Sure. It's just metal yeah. stuck together with some welds. Uh, yeah, I can do that. So you're, you're talking about lying? Is that is that what we're talking about here, Tanda? Well, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't call it lying. No, I'm, gonna, I'm calling it fabrication. Lying sounds, you know, sounds kind of bad. Yeah. Okay. Just All simple, right. so, simple, simple fabrication. Yeah. You're lying. Okay. That's, that's a skill. We're going we're gonna to go with lying. Is there such a thing as a, as a white, as a white fabrication? <sighs> Just a little white fabrication? I, 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 don't, I don't know if it gets hot enough, I guess. You know, it's a, that's not really the point. Okay. Tom, Tom, what skill goes well with fabrication? Uh, let's say blacksmithing. I think they go hand in hand. I think every blacksmither does every blacksmither does a little bit of fabrication. They're just not good. They're not great fabricators. They're 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 blacksmiths, like I said earlier. So I think that I think those pair nicely. Yeah, blacksmithing is a skill, and it does pair well with fabrication. So of course you leave me with no choice, Tom. I'm gonna have to say design. <laughs> oh come on, <laughs> son of a! I, I left that for you, Tom. I left design for you, and you yeah, just you totally oh, missed out, it. buddy. Yeah, I I, I, was, I was like, he's definitely gonna take it. He's de- he's got nothing else. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I JD, I was thinking about when you're talking about how you don't get any blueprints or anything, and you've got to design stuff like the stairs and things like that. You know, we want to rail around the stairs. Do you charge them for that design? See, that's there's your upsell right there. If they're not giving you blueprints, you go, okay. Well, I will include that. Uh, the design aspect is a search is an upcharge, and then t- that's how you bump up your price. Well, I mean, I guess it's in the price. I mean, but there's separate it. It takes separate it. I'm telling you, man, it's it's a it's a look. If they anybody that's what I'm saying. I'm not good at this. Anybody that has anything <laughs> made, okay, that they understand this. Like that, you know, like if any company, they they know that they need blueprints for something. They're coming to you for like a workaround. So what you got to do is you got to be like just stop and be like, okay. Uh, the, here's the here's the charge for the design. 
Here's the charge for the work that I'm going to be doing. Here's the charge for the installation. And you you just break it down, itemize it. Yeah. And then you could see like what they've got. And if, if they have an issue with it, you're like, okay, well, you can have someone else design it. I'll still build it for you. If you think you can get somebody to design it cheaper. Oh, I don't know if you want to sign up for that. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't say that. Don't say it that way, but you get, you get the get, point. Yeah, then they'll have their buddy Joe design it for them, and you'll end up having yeah, to be on the hook to, to build Joe's design. Yeah, see, I don't want to do that. And then I would have to learn yeah. how to design. and. I'm in the end. You're already song. doing it. I. Uh, you're already doing it. No, no, you're already doing it. You just say you just say it's a, de- a separate part and it's a line item. You know how, how often? <laughs> how often does someone turn you down based on price? How often do you quote somebody and they go, "Eh, we just we can't go there." Maybe maybe in six months. I mean, how often does that happen, if at all? Every every often enough. I, the, okay. The, yeah. Right. Often enough, I have to tell people that it's like when they ask me for a ladder, you can buy a ladder for 300 bucks from McMaster car or something or, or from Home Depot, whatever. And then they want to know why my ladder costs 1500 bucks. Well, it's my yeah. time you're buying, not the ladder. And you want a custom ladder right. made out of this or that. That's the that's the thing. It's, it's really like as a fabricator, you're, you're really just buying my time. And so a ladder is right. a ladder. You know, the, the rungs are the same, but say I'm trying to build it out of something to go on the side of a roof or something like that. You could buy something like that, but then you might have to alter it to need you anyway. Right. No, the reason I asked was there was just a time early on in my business when I realized no one had ever turned me down on price. Yeah. And and so I started, you know, raising my prices until like that first person that was like, oh man, I didn't realize it was going to be that much. I can't do that. And I was like, cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I just recently did that. I, I finally, I'm finally started to get my prices where where people are turning me down because they, you know, the price is too high. And before that, it was just like, really, yeah, let's do it. I just, I just recently did that to where I do a lot of work for the same company, so they kind of have the the friend deal, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I don't charge mm-hmm. them an arm and a leg because they do keep me busy the whole time. Well, one of their email forwarders decided to pawn me off to the owner of the building that they're leasing and they wanted a set of like a fire escape stairs. They had these janky mm-hmm. stairs. They wanted a platform and a staircase. Well, my price was like around 5,500 and then they start pawning me off. And then I get in this email to where it's gone through all these email forwarders. So smart people. And they're like, Hey, we'll just get him to do it. Just have him send us his insurance and have him do this and have him do that. I go, Hey, by the way, that price just went to 7,500 bucks and they they dropped yeah. it. Mm-hmm. They, they were supposed to be two and it was going to be around 10 grand. And then I go, I don't know you. I don't know why you guys pawned me off on you guys. I jumped the price up right there. And now I'm only doing, instead of doing two for 15, I'm now doing one for five. So it happens. And then I, they always call me in to quote stuff, especially at the begin, end of the year. I'm about to start doing this all for next year's budget. And it, half the stuff I quote never, never goes through. So. Right. Well, that's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's another reason that it's nice to have somebody else who's just doing quoting, knowing that, mm-hmm. you know, there's some, you know, win loss rate of going out doing quotes. And I'm all over the place. So it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to quote what I do. if unless you know what I do, I mean, I, I go from right. making right. a staircase. I just made like 32 cubes to these frames that were like 25 feet by eight feet to another platform. There's no standard in anything. I Yeah. Do. But you know what though? You know what, you you don't, you know, let's say I work for you and I go do your quotes. I'm taking, I'm going on site, I'm taking notes, and I'm telling you what's there. That's a skill you can teach to anybody. Not anybody, but that, 
And then you take that information and you actually make the quote, right? Yeah. So you just have somebody going, taking pictures, taking measurements and getting you real close to the, to the right number. And then, and then you're punching in those numbers, but you're doing it from your couch, not the, the job site, right? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. It can be done. Someday. And then you have to pay that person. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. So it's like, yeah. where does that, where does that, how much are they worth compared to me just going and doing it myself? Cause it's really hard to teach. Yeah. Cause when I'm there, I start thinking of all the other things I can like think out how I'm actually going to build this. Therefore I know what yeah. I'm going to need here, there, all that kind of stuff. You, you know, another thing that I realized early on in my business is all of that think time. Mm-hmm. When you're doing the quote, you're doing a lot of work during that process. I used to have someone who I did engineering work for, and they would invite me to lunch and talk about some new thing that they were thinking about designing or building. And one day at lunch, the guy said, you realize I, I invite you to lunch and I tell you about this design that I'm wanting to do because I know you can't not think about it. And so two, <laughs> two months from now, when I actually hire you to do this design, you've already completely thought it through and know how to do the design. And I get all of that for free. Wow. Um, (sighs) Yeah. But I mean, there is some of that going on. I mean, when you're out there quoting, you're doing the front end of all your design work and yeah. And, and a lot of people, and I think especially makers and people who are, get really good at their skill, they, they discount that or completely, you know, forget that, you know, not anyone can walk out there and already kind of have a material list in their head and how they're going to go about it, whether they need a crane, um, you know, what kind of you know, tooling they might need to stand it up and hold it if they're working by themselves. And, you know, all of that work is is work that you're kind of giving away. But it's, it's hard. I, I can't, you know, it's hard to mm-hmm. say. So just go do that <laughs> because I've been there and you you can have people tell you that but so it that's that's help. the other thing you do JD is is when you go out and you give them a quote if they give you they take the job then you charge them for the quote with the job so the quote's free if they don't take it if they don't hire you but if they hire you that job the the quote costs something yeah but that, only, that doesn't work for the one cus- that main customer he has you know well you know he could start raising his prices i mean a- everything's going up yeah. everything is going up in price so that's you know true. his his prices got to go up too i dude, mean dude just blame that's it just blame covid put a covid tax on there <laughs> yeah no well it's funny because i've had the ceo <laughs> of the company tell me i got to raise my price i raise my price really and the person underneath him that approves the jobs uses that to say that i'm too expensive <laughs> And so I've I've cut myself out of stuff before by following directions. Yeah. Well, may, maybe you need some new clients. You know. I'm married to them. Yeah. That too. You're not married yeah. to them. No, I literally I'm married, married to them. <laughs> you don't have to be. Oh, you really? get a divorce. <laughs> no, no, he's not kidding. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like I'm I'm married to yeah. him. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I didn't know we were going there. <laughs> well, then. Well, then. Well, then. Then. Then you need a uh, an office manager. Yeah. That 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 gets that gets paid for living with you uh, from like eight at night to you know to the yeah. next morning. You need that same guy that the CEO has that's just under that just tells you no. You need that guy to tell yeah. him no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it right there. Yeah. Problem solved. Problem Play solved. the same game. And now it's time for give me your best guest. Yeah. All right, JD. We know fabrication is your dominant skill, but this is a top five. Give me your best guess list. So, what is skill number two 
in the JD repertoire. So you're putting fabrication at one? Fabrication's number one. You can you can change it up. Yeah, I mean I just wrote down like five. I got problem solving, welding. And we're gonna go one at a time, one at a time. All right. We're just this isn't the speed round. <laughs> so so number two is problem solving. Yeah. Okay, and did you develop we that? We talked a little about that already. Yeah, you you talked about that. So you developed that while you were learning the fabrication, or did you learn that prior? Kind of goes hand in hand. Were you just that kid? Were you that kid that just thought that way? Yeah, I do think different. I'm starting to realize that as I get older and I'm around more people that uh, I'm not, I'm different. I'm different up here, not in a good way. Like, as, <laughs> but but I am different in a better way. We think it's a we think it's a good way. We think it's all right. I, I remember my as a kid, my parents gave me uh, brain teasers, like problem solving. You know, what I'm talking about the little what, the metal things that are oh, yeah. tied in together, and then and puzzles and mm-hmm. yeah. other oh, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So I'd always play with that. This, you know, I kind of grew up before uh, before the internet a little bit. I'm right on that mm-hmm. edge where I didn't always have a phone in my hand growing up. So I kind of learned how to problem solve, and that's kind of what's made fabrication easy for me. Might have gone a little bit before, but they kind of go hand in hand. Okay, okay, that's a that's a good solid answer. So, what is skill number three? Um, I'd say rigging. I'm, I'm pretty good at moving heavy stuff. In doing that construction, I put rigging together. Just the rigging alone itself weighed 225,000 pounds. Just to pick up something that was 80,000 pounds. So I got real familiar with chain falls, come alongs, snatch blocks, air tuggers, winches, and like any other type of rigging like half the stuff they do that kind of goes in hand in hand with problem solving it's like you can build something really heavy here in the jack stands but how do you get it 20 feet up in the air you can't just use a forklift for everything and so uh being able to rig and move heavy things that's kind of that's one of my biggest skills i would say i almost say i get paid just to do the heavy stuff that they can't figure out how to do most of the times that's pretty cool Right. Is there some crossover with like millwright work there or would you say there's like two different, two different things? No, it's funny. So I just listened to the Tony Rolu, 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 mm-hmm. whatever. I listened to his Ep- podcast Yeah, and yeah, he was a millwright. The yeah. first construction job that I went to at a power plant, I was put with the millwright crew. And then later on I was rigging for the millwrights as well. And so He's talking about lining up these motors and stuff. Right. I used a crane that was 200 feet away, you know, like 250 feet up in the air to pick up this 20,000 pound motor that I had to pick it up. And the superintendent sent there because he knows me and he's like, do not smash that motor into that bearing or uh, coupling. And they're only mm-hmm. this far apart. I have to pick that whole motor all the way up nice and easy just so they could throw a thousand shim underneath it. Like they got me picking mm-hmm. up this 20,000 pound thing just so they could slide this little shim underneath it and then set it right back down on top of it. So rigging goes hand in hand with millwright, ironwork, pipe. A lot of work I do is pipe. Right. Yeah. It's kind of funny because what Tony was talking about, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I'm like, I've been the other guy right there beside him helping him out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a stressful job. I don't. I don't. I don't want to do that. Uh, that's. I'd, I wish I could do that all the time, playing with cranes. Yeah, playing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think you should play with a crane there, uh, JD. I'm just. Uh, that's such a dangerous machine. People could get squashed. When you're doing you know? that, normally a crane operator they can't see what they're doing. They're sitting in the crane, and you're either mm-hmm. 200 feet up on top of the building. They can't see what's up there, and or they're around the corner or something like that. And so you just have a radio. It's almost like playing a video game. You're telling the guy what to do, 
but you're not the one doing it. You know, I'm not the mm, one with my right, hands on the right. controls. I'm just telling them what I need. Or you're doing the crane signals mm-hmm. and it, and you feel like you're like running the crane yep. with your hand. Cause because it goes right off of what you say. They're so in tune with what you're doing that, you know, you're, you're doing your crane stuff and it's like you're using hand motions to run a crane, mm-hmm. which is... That's that's always kind of interesting. When Wireless. we when we built the big machines where I used to work, we would have crane day. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it was very expensive and it was very critical, and so everybody got ready for crane day because you were going to hire a crane to come and put the entire machine together. And so crane crane day was a big deal. I, I used to use hand motions when I would go to restaurants, but I, I don't do that anymore because because of, of COVID. But I, I think it's the same thing. Yeah. Anyway, number four, number four, uh, what is the fourth skill in your repertoire there, JD? I'd say pipe fitting. It's fabrication, but with pipe. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's kind of boring, but... Cutting weird notches. Now, now when you said you started out doing gas, um, was that like big, like facility gas line stuff, or was it... Well, that's what got me into welding. It started off just doing residential, like the Atlanta housing market before it busted in 08, like from like 2003 to 08 was insane. I'm talking like, mm-hmm. and so I'm just using like a rigid 300 pipe threader in the back of a van with like one inch, three quarter and half inch pipe and running okay. it for the hot water heater, the stove, the grill out back, the furnace up in the attic, that kind of stuff. So working for that company, I was doing that. And then that company grew into doing commercial warehouses and one of the first ones that i got to see was a it's a pepsi pepsico one of their distribution warehouses and it needed all this gas piping for all the hanging heaters and everything to keep everything at the right temperature and stuff not sponsored yeah not sponsored by pepsi (laughs) (laughs) and i don't recommend i don't recommend them (laughs) that's where i first saw welding i didn't even i didn't even know it existed per se like I'd heard about it, but I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it. And I was a young guy on the bottom of the totem pole or whatever. And so I was just a helper that they designated me to go, like, go help the welder, whatever he needs, you do it for him. And when you first see that, man, it's like magic, you know, it lights up in the smoke and the, and I'm like, what's going on? And then you look at it, you're like, like what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, mm-hmm. so did you then go do some formal training in welding or just entirely self-taught? Or? No, I'm kind of, uh, so that that welder looking back was a drunk which kind of goes hand in hand with welding (laughs) but he was a worthless guy and he took the first check and bounced like kind of a down payment and he did not come back so then they went through a couple welders because schedule 40 pipe is kind of difficult to weld especially in something like six inches in that bad but four and three inch it's only so big it keeps all that heat it's really difficult to weld i was young and still uh i'd already been kicked out of college and everything so I thought that was a good thing for me to learn. So I told my boss, hey, if you want to pay for me, I'll go to the technical school and I'll be y'all's welder. And I was doing that for like two days a week. And then he fired me for not working because I was only there three days a week. I don't know how that worked. But anyways. It was a good gesture to start out with. Mm -hmm. So I went to a technical school, but I really, I did the bare minimum because I was working at the same time. I couldn't get in the night Mm -hmm. class. And so I really learned from welding tips and tricks before it was on YouTube. I really learned. Oh, very cool. Jody was my instructor per se. But he had a video series before he started putting them on YouTube, right? Yep. He had them. This is before YouTube and he had them on his website. 
and it, mm -hmm. like you couldn't even make the video big it was just a little little square that yeah. was embedded oh, in the yeah. website but his information was there i think i have a cd mm -hmm. with of his of his videos i mean i got it after he was on youtube as part of like a, a you know a deal where i bought a whole bunch of tig tips mm -hmm. and and you know stuff but i i have one of those cds but i, I would say that he is the that i'm not a hundred percent self-taught, but I'm not a hundred percent. Like I don't have an old mentor that taught me how to weld. Right. I've really just kind of been mm -hmm. winging it. Just trying to, I was doing it for gas pipe, but then that led, once I got fired from there, then I went, I talked to the welding instructor and he got me a job at the first fab shop. Then when you, the easiest way to get a job, another, a good job is already have a job because then you can right. you hear them talk and they're right. like, yeah, I used to work over here. Oh, they pay a dollar more. I go over there, pay a dollar more. I go over here. And then I went from 10 to 11 to 12 and then from 12 to 22 going to the commercial level to the industrial level right so uh, mm -hmm. that's kind of my journey so i'm just putting it out there just in case this is still relevant but if you need an old mentor this old tony is is old oh yeah so you could you could talk to him tony's the best and he does welding yeah yeah <laughs> so. oh yeah he's commented on a video before Put me over the moon. This this old mentor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? It's <laughs> a good feeling. He's the best. He's the <laughs> yeah, best. He I want him as my mentor yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love it. So let's let's move on to number five. What's your fifth and final skill? Well, I mean, I guess welding. I know that seems weird, but it's really the smallest part of everything that I do. It's kind of like painting. Painters aren't as good at painting hmm. as they are at taping. You know, you got to do, you have to do right. all mm -hmm. the prep work before, so... I got to be able to move the material. I got to be able to cut the material. I got to be able to square it up and fabricate it before I actually even weld it. Yeah. And I'm the wor I'm a worse welder than I am a rigger or a fabricator or a pipe fitter to a degree. But it makes it easy on you as a welder. Mm -hmm. And well, that's like I my mean, if niche. you have all of those skills ahead of you mm -hmm. to set up to set everything up for the weld at the end. Yeah. Then... And welding is only like five percent of the of the work. You got to do all the prep. You got to get do all yeah. the fabrication. And then you actually get to weld it, so it's like rolling paint mm -hmm. on the walls, like your to go with your analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Well, well, don't don't forget that forty percent is driving around. Yes, do, doing nothing. Oh, yeah, that's that's. <laughs> you did say yes, yeah, it's true. And you can drop it to like next to nothing, maybe two percent with preparation W. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. Yes. I hear Johnson's up. is stocked up. You should probably order yeah. before they run out, because as just, soon as this hits the just air, that stuff on your cracks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Was that our best guess? I don't know, but it was a guest. All right, it's time for short and sweet. JD, do you have anything to wrap up the show? Uh, let someone else go first. I'm not sure. Uh, that's a hard pass. Okay, yeah. Tanda, do you have anything <laughs> for short and sweet? Well, yeah, you should go and go and follow JD and everything he's doing, and and you know, give him some love on Instagram or wherever he's at. But you, you should also yes. send him some really high paying jobs too. If you're in the Atlanta area, you know, you should send him send him work because he knows what he's doing and he does a good job. Thank you. He does. He does. That sounds like good advice. I I think uh, someone listening probably knows someone that probably can't help. Tom, <laughs> do you have anything for yeah. short and sweet? Yeah, uh I wanna shout out uh Design the Everything, AJ Huff. Uh, we've, we, he helped me like years ago with CAD and, and even my computer desk has Sharpie written down that says AJ knows CAD just so I f would like, that's how we got connected. And I never wanted to forget 
who I can ask about that stuff. But he's got a, um, most of his side hustle is on Etsy. Design the everything. Just type that into Etsy, all one word, and you'll see him. He does kind of like everyday carry stuff. Um, he does these really cool aluminum trays, and I'm wearing one of these ring. It's not a ring. It's a it's a key ring. I just have large hands, and I bought I bought a tray from him like today, yesterday. I don't remember. I bought my pocket top from him a, a while back. He did a Kickstarter for those. He runs a couple of CNC mills at his house in his garage and make stuff and he's really talented and just a nice guy and very helpful too so design the everything aj huff check him out all right well i've got two things so the first thing is today is is sort of a momentous day for me i completed the restoration of my own personal delta drill press and this is like oh my god i completely forgot jd i was supposed to that was supposed to be at the beginning of the show. Dig in. Yeah, I didn't. I complete. Shame on you. Yeah, that's I'm, okay. I'm that's okay. You've yeah, got. It, you have the. You have the bell and Tom's uh, trumpet both on audio now, so you can. Yeah. You can cut them yes. back in at the appropriate spot. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm cut them right in, like right now, because I'm not going back. So anyway, <laughs> at the, but yeah, the I I got this drill press either two or three years ago. Uh, it was in September. I don't remember which September, but anyway, I've been meaning to do a restoration. I've been using it like dirty, rusted, and the head was tilted to the left. Like it wasn't centered with the table and the base. And it was stuck that way for literally two, three years. And and so uh, not only is it now straight and cleaned and everything is beautifully gold and blue. I've got one of Tom's drill press caddies mounted to it. Uh, I 3D printed a column cap and an electrical box that mounts to the column and uh, everything is shiny and beautiful and it probably will remain that way for 24 hours. So I'm trying to revel in <laughs> this moment now before it gets nicked or scratched or possessed by a demon and I'm I'm just I'm very pleased with how it turned out and I have pictures to prove that it was was like that at least for for one period of its life. And I'm happy. That's, that's basically what I'm trying to say. I'm happy. But the other thing, you did, a, you did a hell of a job. You did a hell of a job. It looks amazing. Thank you. You were sending us sneak. You were sending us sneak peeks of little sections of it, like over the last week or two. And when I saw it today, I went, "Oh, d-. like, like the whole thing in its glory was like way better. It was really cool. It was really cool." Yeah, you and Tanda. I think there might have been Ben. Uh, from Ben Makes KC might have gotten a sneak, but that was it. No one else knew what was happening. I talked about yeah. it in stories, but no one else saw anything. So yeah, I did that on purpose. <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, last week I forgot to thank our Patreons, and this week we have a new Patreon member, Thrushlund on IG. Aaron Lund is uh, coming in at our beginner level. So welcome. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. Our, thank our, you, Aaron. Our top Patreon supporters are Creator Nader and, of course, our very own Tanda. And uh, we're going to read out all the rest of our Patreon members today. We've got Old Timey Tools, Ben Makes KC, Seth Williams, Alan Scannell, Dave Bauer, Lauren Bache, Emery Pickering, and Dave Beckwith. So this list is very important because starting next week, those are the only people that are going to hear 
the segment after the credits. So we're, we're going to roll the credits here, and then JD is going to record with us. We've got rant requests coming up. So this is the last week you'll be able to hear that unless you uh, become a Patreon member because we've given you a year and time is up. So giving you fair <laughs> warning, join up now. JD, uh, was that enough time for you to come up with something? You got anything to add? I don't have much to add except thanks for having me on. I like this podcast. I just found it. I didn't realize you guys were doing it until I saw you guys at uh, Baker's Camp. I like it a lot. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, man. Thank you. Sure thing. It's crazy that we have that many patrons and only four listeners. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Well, five. Five now. <laughs> so. Well, they pay us to not listen. They yeah. If you sign up on Patreon.com, you don't have to listen anymore. That's the deal. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. <laughs> we don't tell people that, Tom. Come on. They're not supposed to oh, know. Uh, well, just edit edit that out then. That's fine. I, uh, that's going to be... At, at, at the top level, we'll embrace any memory you have of ever having listened to this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, we don't tell anybody that we've got... <laughs> that, oh, oh, I'm going to have to cut that out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Rant Requests. I don't remember how long it's been since we've done Rant Requests, but it must be a while because we got a really bizarre amount from uh, from the people and and I, I don't understand since we've only got five listeners we've got more than five questions i think people are just making things up because they saw the post on instagram i don't think they're actually they, i think they're making us do work i think that's basically what i'm, I'm getting to here <laughs> we have we have at least three people that have told someone they listen to the podcast and then they've had to create a new instagram account under an alias just from the flack they've received from admitting that so and then they yeah. use both accounts to to comment. So it kind of yeah. doubles up. Yeah, I, I don't. I, that's that's just uh, that's low down right there. All right. So the first one comes in from Creator Nader, probably the only valid person that, that, that you know, because he he pays us. We the people demand to know just how high Tanda Madison's IQ is. You know, you're dealing with a terrifying intellect when the person in question is so bored with knowing everything, they make HW sounds for WH words for fun. What? I don't know who, what he's talking about. <laughs> Wait, I think he's referring to something specific. Uh, yeah, it's ruined it for me because now I've got to go back every time I, I kind of audit the podcast before I post it. I'm going to be listening to everything I say. Because I obviously have some kind of weird vocal uh, tick that uh, no, no one with any kind of intellect would, would properly f form words. I think that's the answer. I, I don't mind telling you because it's creator nader. So her IQ is A positive. Yes. So that, that, should, that should be good enough. Number two comes in from Easy DIY Plans. Undoubtedly, we're all different. 
but I would love to hear a conversation on managing the limited resources of time energy versus the colossal list of potential projects. I think I've solved that dilemma recently. (laughs) What did you do, Tom? Just make everything you could possibly think of as fast as possible and list it on a website. Problem solved. And technically, the the energy is electricity because your printers are doing all the real work, right? Yeah, I sleep while they print stuff. I don't even make anything. You just hit a button. That that sounds valid to me. Uh, JD, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Like I said, I'm the worst. No, I'm so far behind. I'm not very mm. good at managing my time. I can come up with new projects faster than I can I can finish projects quite easily. So yeah. I, I don't know where that, uh, how, how to control that. I mean, just starting in on a project, you know, forks off three new projects. Mm-hmm. I like right. doing the first 85% of a project. Mm-hmm. And then going on to another one. I, th- I think that's the problem solver puzzle mentality that you kind of alluded to earlier. I mean, you get 85% of the way, you've solved the problems and the puzzles, and all that's left is just the grunt work, and you're like, oh, like, okay, yeah, that's, that's kind of boring. Yeah, the sanding. <laughs> From here on out, that, I can see how this last 15% could be done by anybody. I'm done. <laughs> I already put one coat of poly. Why do I need to put seven more? Well, see, that that is how I get everything finished. This is why you guys have such a problem. I do the last 15% first. And that way, <laughs> it takes care of itself. Then you do what? the 85% after that, and it's like, ah, this is easy. I already did the hard part. That's good. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. There's your answer. You do the last 15% first. And everything goes smoothly. So I hope that that helps you out there. Right. Just make a long list of your projects and then just knock off the last 15% of all yes. of them. Yes. Yes. That is that is there the way go. to go. All right. So the next one comes in from the abstract blacksmith. Is being a maker even going to be viable in the near future with the crazy influx of cost of materials plus shortages? I don't, I don't, yep. I don't think- Maker's going to make. But, but I don't think we should- short materials is, is not politically correct. I mean, we should say small materials. I think that's that's the, the, <laughs> the right way to talk about them. Right. Yeah. Um, small materials are just as easy to work with as big materials. So that's, that's you got to get over this, that stigma. I don't, I don't know why he would even bring that up. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, as we, as we move into a world of dimensionally challenged materials, we'll just have to learn how to, how to make with them. I mean, JD pointed out all you got to do is just weld them together. You weld a bunch of little pieces, you get a 300-foot girder, you know? Oh, yep. There it is. Learn how to weld, and you can turn part shortages into part longages. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's so there's there's your answer. And and this guy's a blacksmith. He should know better. He's got to be welding stuff. Come on. All right. So that's that's, we're just going to go there. Okay. I, I I tried to correct him, but he didn't he didn't pay attention. Adam C. This is brilliant. Adam C. sent <laughs> us an emoji with his hand raised. I told him that we don't understand emoji and to please use words, and he didn't reply. So I don't I don't know what that's about. So we're <laughs> we're just gonna great. move right along. Uh, oh oh oh! This is we have the mayor of Little River. I didn't know we we've got a politician. I, we, I think it's our first politician here. So it says. People that don't know the difference between straightness and parallelism. Uh, I don't wait. What's the difference between straightness? I I don't think the problem is with people that don't know the difference between straightness and parallelism. I think it's people who think they know the difference between straightness and parallelism, creating your drawings and then expecting to machine what you want instead of what they thought they wanted. (laughs) 
I, th- I think this sounds like a political question to me. You see, guys, when, when we're doing the podcast live and we're recording, I can't hit the reverse 15-second button to re-listen to what Tanda says so I can laugh harder. <laughs> Tanda makes a lot of sense when you listen to her the oh, second time. The first time, it's like, <laughs> I didn't catch all that. It was really good. Yeah. We're, but I'm not, I didn't. It's the IQ difference. I, this goes back to the IQ question. I just can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 The, the mayor of Little River should know this. There's a whole, like, it's a governmental department and, and, tra- and training that, that deals with all this. Yeah. They call it GD&T. Yeah. And you can, you can find little books on it and everything. You just so you just go out there and Google GD&T and the government department and training people are all over this. I already Googled it. That, that, sounds, that sounds about right. I don't really know if that's true, but it sounds right. I I personally can't answer the question because I'm trained in um, perpendicularity. I don't know about parallelism, so I I just don't have an answer. Oh well, perpendicularity and parallelism are are related. It's pretty obtuse of you. Yeah, they're they're neither one forms, and and straightness is a is a form, I believe. Uh, I'll take your word for it. Okay, there there are going to be some machinists that'll think that's funny. That's worthwhile. One of our four listeners, I think, has to. He has to chuckle at that. Uh, well, Tony might laugh. I think he said that he he half listened to one episode. If it, if it's this episode, well, then he would have listened to it in the future and told. Never, never mind. And, right. And if he laughs a little, and someone in New Zealand laughs a little, then the world will will still be perfectly normal. Keeps rolling. And, and we'll still have five perfect. listeners. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. All right. So Shandy Bear and Co. Woodwork asks. Uh, oh, sorry. He's not asking anything. Not a rant. But I would be interested in a discussion about how you each work through roadblocks, a project that just doesn't work after multiple tries. Do you put it down and come back? Do you keep cranking away at it until you break through? What's your process? Just go through something. Just just throw something at the wall to see if it sticks or systemically. Yeah, systemically uh, working through it. So I want to hear what JD has to say about this. Whenever I have an issue, I start cleaning. I start doing just some stupid task. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Duresta method. Yep. That's great. That. Yeah. Just let your solid. subconscious start chewing on it. My my problem is when I clean, I, I, I don't know how to just clean a little bit. Like I start rearranging like everything, but then I like yeah. find new projects while I clean. So I always get to like the 30% of cleaning mark and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I want to do that now. <laughs> and then I make a mess. <laughs> okay. He's shaking his head. Yeah. But but somewhere along the way you uh you know, you kind of solve that roadblock, right? I mean, when you when you come back to it, does it often just, you know, you come back to it and you're like, "Why was this a problem? I I totally see how to do this now." I I use the 50/50 method. So that's that's basically been my main line for for years. So whenever I get to something where I don't know what to do for whatever reason, I either stop that and immediately pick up the project next to it and start working on that. So then my brain in the background figures it out for me. Or if that's not possible for whatever reason, I just ask someone. That's the easiest thing to do. You just ask somebody because they're not they're not stuck in that same loop and they're just going to look at it and go, oh, you just painted blue. It'll be fine. Go, oh, yeah. Why didn't I think of that? I love blue. Mm-hmm. So that that's that, what I do. You, the main reason that you're stuck on something is because you are, you're literally in that 
circular mindset where all you're focused on is that thing. And as soon as you take yourself out of that mindset, then it frees your mind from that pattern. And then everything can branch out like a tree. And not only do you have one option, you got like five options to pick from. And that's how it always is for me. I, it's, I almost never have just one solve. It's always several solves. And I just pick the one that I find the most attractive. And I thought the 50-50 solution was uh, for roadblocks was those people that drive 50 miles an hour up to the front and then count on 50% of the people letting them in. <laughs> that, that sounds – I'll try that next time. Okay, uh, Creator Nader gave us another question here. And then I think two? he's he's the, we're giving this guy two. He he gets a bonus, you know. He he's um he's paying our salaries. I mean, I like him. Yeah. I like him. I was just questioning it. That's all. So he says, "What about who you guys have been watching? The research segment is very entertaining, by the way. Big red heart. Oh, that's very sweet of him. He wants to know what we've been watching. We never talk about Gotham that. Chess. Malcolm Chess. Gotham Chess. Gotham Chess. I'm obsessed. Yeah, nothing to do with making. Sorry. Uh, he didn't. It's a, it didn't have to be relevant. Since the Queen's Gambit came out, mm-hmm. chess as a category has exploded. And this guy goes from like 20,000 followers on, on YouTube to he just passed a million wow. subscribers on YouTube. Wow. And he does Twitch. And like this guy, he's, he's a young kid. He's like 22 to 24. I can't tell. Lives in, uh, lives in New York. He might live in Manhattan. And just plays chess. And he's an international master. He's not a grand master. He's working towards that now. But he's been playing chess his whole life. Like, he's a, you know, he, was, uh, he wasn't quite a child prodigy. But, but like, he, he puts on really good entertaining chess content. Which I know that sounds weird if you don't know what I'm talking about. But that's what I've been watching. I don't watch that many maker videos anymore unless it's like, if I see the thumbnail and I'm like, I don't know how he did that, I'm watching that video. That's where I'm at with my maker viewing. Well, I was looking through my history. I've never gone through my YouTube history before, and it's apparently not in order because I know I just watched this person. I was going to look up the name, and now it's like nowhere in my history. Mm. So Tanda's trying to look that up while we're recording. It's basically what well, she's Well, no, I thought, uh, I thought other <laughs> folks would. Yeah, this is, this is very Tom-like. <laughs> but, I, but I thought hey. maybe you and JD would go before me, and, and I'd have a chance. One of the things I've been I've been looking at recently, and that was kind of spurred on by my getting to do a little bit of forging, a little bit of blacksmithing at the Maker's Camp, is uh, Black Bear Forge. And it was just a blacksmith I hadn't come across before. And he has kind of uh, has a series of kind of beginnery stuff through a little more advanced stuff. And it's easily watched and some good little projects that you could just walk all the way through. And so that's one of them. The one I was trying to find is someone who does a lot of resin casting and mold making. And I've watched a lot of that, but this was someone I hadn't seen before. And so I've been watching a few of his videos on, on doing glove molds and stuff. What about you, JD? My favorite thing is I watch, I watch everybody on uh, Instagram, their stories and everything. I like seeing everybody's personal stuff, Mm -hmm. personal journey through the day and just all the makers, like everybody. YouTube, I've just been watching a bunch of gun stuff. I like watching watermelons blow up. The only good use for watermelons, in my opinion. Just saying. Maybe maybe we could explosive weld a watermelon onto a piece of aluminum or something. I'll try. I'll I'll worth a try. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
Uh, as for me, um, I, I got I just got done rewatching The Witcher on Netflix because I know that the second season is coming out either November or December, so I'm I'm kind of boning back up for that, so I'm I'm ready to go. But right now, I'm watching a new Netflix series. It's a cartoon called Inside Job, and it's about a corporation called Cognito Inc. and they are the shadow government that runs the country. And they're 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 partnered up with like lizard people, and they're at war with the Atlanteans, and they deal with flat earthers, and like they you know they've got all these like basically like every government conspiracy you can think of, they're behind all of not it. Not sponsored, yeah, not sponsored. Whatever. I don't recommend them. But it's like kind of like fast paced humor, like it's goofy humor. Um, like the very first episode, they build a robot to replace the president and it's supposed to be foolproof. And then the very first thing that happens is the robot tries to take over the world. So it's, it's like that kind of a thing. And it's, um, I don't know, I, I'm about five episodes in and it's funny and it's entertaining. So if you want something that's kind of dumb to watch, it's a inside job. Sounds very Rick and Morty-ish. <laughs> I, I've never seen Rick and Morty. So I, I don't Sounds know. like that. That's my favorite. I watch that. I'm obsessive. I watch it a lot. <laughs> going going way back, so I actually was about to look on eBay to see if I could get the the DVDs. But if you ever watched the Venture Brothers, you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. That is the best. Like that is that was the first cartoon I think I remember where it was they cursed. So like they had to bleep out the curses and there was nudity. So they had like, there was like blurred sections of the screen. So you can't see what's happening. And I'm like, oh, this is the best, you know? And it was on Adult Swim on uh, the Cartoon Network. But um, I've always wanted to get the DVDs just so I could have it just in case something happens and they're not running it anymore. But that stuff is hilarious. I I remember, this makes me feel old. I remember when Heavy Metal came out and that was just such a weird thing to watch. Yeah, yeah. uh, A cartoon essentially with like adult themes and, and bad language and and so forth. Absolutely. I remember that. That's that's where I found out that a a whale d- is called a d- Tom's just shaking his head like like a millennial. Like what what is heavy metal? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. <laughs> the musical genre? No. no. The the no. the animated the f- movie. The yeah. feature length animated movie. <laughs> which was well, awesome. I got that from context. 